if we could be a little charismatic and give the Lord Jesus a good hand for all the miracles. that he does in our midst many to which we will never see until we get to be with that miracle in heaven and so we're so grateful for the lord i'm sure you're many of you have spoken to me and i have been in much thought in my mind and heart about these last couple of weeks that i get to share with you as as your lead pastor I'm excited to see the future for this church, for this body. I believe that we have been under some attack from time to time. But one must recognize that that comes with progress. When we continue to step forward and try to be the church that Jesus wants us to be, there will be us down and to slow. There will be the fight of the evil one to shut us down and to slow us down and to get us confused or distracted. I recall my very first message here. As a summer guest, I was asked to speak while Pastor Ken was away and getting ready for his surgery. I came and spoke on when Jesus is in the house. And I remember someone coming up to me after that and suggesting to me, are you suggesting that Jesus isn't in this church? And I said, well, I don't know because I'm just a guest here and I just want to make sure that I think he should be. Now I come to the end. And I can say that Jesus is in this house. That Jesus is the Lord of this place. And that Jesus by his Holy Spirit is taking us where we need to be. Where you need to be where I need to be. I remember in my first series talking to you about BTVJ. You remember that one? Becoming the visible Jesus. It's what God laid on my heart for this body. That Jesus was in the house, but we were we visible to those outside the house? And so I'm going to end where I began. We talked at that time of what I talked about, the 12 commandments of the New Testament. The one another's. You can remember those, loving one another, enduring one another, exhorting one another, praying for one another. When we do that together, we become the visible Jesus to those around us. And I believe that this church began to move in that direction and continues that pilgrimage. There's the old saying about us pastors who are making the transition. Please, I don't like to hear the word retirement. I'm not Caleb's age yet. 
So I think there's still some mountain I have to conquer for God. Although I'm not sure what it is, but I'm going to spend four months seeking his face, asking him what shall be my Caleb challenge. Have no idea. But there's this old sailing saying that when a pastor comes to this time of retirement or transition and they have something negative to say about the church, they save it for their last Sunday. I don't have anything like that. I don't have anything like that. I have nothing in my heart that, that I have been loved. I have been loved by the people of this church. I have been accepted with all of my frailties. I'm sure there are many go home some Sunday mornings and say, is that pastor ever going to cut his hair? But I've been loved through it all. And I am grateful. I am so grateful. But I want to end where we began. And I want to talk to my church about how we learn to walk the talk in the cultural changes that are going to surround us and capture society. Our world and the generation of Xers and millennials are moving far more towards a progressive political thinking than ever before. The word progressive has a multitude of meanings. And there are things that are happening that are good. But there are issues that the church will face in these coming years that bring fear to those of us over 50 as we begin to see things unfolding. And it brings challenges to the evangelical church and community. There will be conferences upon conferences that will come forward with a multitude of ideas and how to build a biblical worldview to this progressive world movement. One of our own pastors, Pastor Schaefer, is offering a conference on that very thing in a, in a couple of weeks, and you'll see an announcement on the bulletin board. Pastor Schaefer, who was pastor of Hawkwood Baptist, has now sound his new call from God to encourage the evangelical church to understand the biblical worldview in this progressive world culture. But I want to suggest to you that we can find that response in two significant passages of Scripture, two verses by two of my favorite people. And the Holy Spirit gave these two people some very wise words thousands of years ago. We all have favorite people in the Bible, right? We've all got our own hero or heroes. My two are always had a strong impact in my life. 
One, I think, because he was my favorite disciple. And the other, because it was my wife's favorite person. I'm speaking about John and James. There are things that they have said that have always challenged me, and I've tried in these last five years in particular to build upon their teaching. You see, John is unique in many ways as the four gospel writers were. The foundation of what they built their teaching on you find in the first few verses of each of their chapters. Matthew built his foundation on the genealogy of Jesus. Mark built his foundation on the baptism of Jesus. Luke found his foundation in the miraculous birth of Jesus. But John was unique. And he set the foundation for his writings on the deity of Jesus. I'm going to ask, uh, um, you know, Dawson. I almost forgot his name. He's going to put the scripture up for us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, let's say it together, and the Word was God. Oh, bury that in your heart. Bury that in your heart, because this is the foundation of everything that John's going to talk about. And let's continue. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then we move to the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his life among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The two most powerful words that I find in the Bible come from this passage of Scripture. First of all, we come to recognize that Jesus is who? Jesus is God. We sometimes do injustice in our mindset when we say Jesus, the Son of God. But that's not really what John is saying. He is saying Jesus, God, the Son. There is a difference. He's not lesser than God. He is God. So when we speak about Jesus, we understand when we say, is Jesus in the house? We're saying, is God in this house? Is God in this house? We could easily take this passage of Scripture and we could transform, transfer a couple of words without doing it injustice I let me see and get my old age spectacles out here. This is why I'm retiring. We say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God in that whole passage, and the Word became flesh. Who became flesh? Who became flesh? Jesus became flesh, correct? This is who we're talking about. 
And Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when we look at where our world is going today, we do well to keep that foundational thought that John presented in his gospel to us. There are three simple words that I find in this passage of Scripture, and one we're going to read in a moment. And the words are truth, grace, and action. Truth, grace, and action. All truth must always be built on a solid foundation. And John has built his foundation that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so when we think about truth, we need to understand that all truth comes from him. All truth finds its original mandate in him. Jesus was not just a third of the Godhead. He was a full participant in the Godhead. He was there when God hovered over the darkness before he said, let there be light. He was there as part of the Trinity. Let us make man in our image. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He set the foundation for us of grace and truth. But without realizing it, we find ourselves often not quite understanding that as we move forward in life. We can find ourselves so fixated fixated on the negative issues of this progressive culture that we only speak God's wrath and anger towards that culture. And we lose sight of something that Jesus thought very highly of called Of course, on the other hand, we've been, we, can, we can distribute grace so much sight of the abominations and the righteousness of God. So we have this balance that we're forced to fight with as we move forward into this progressive culture. Understand that progressive cultures are not new to Jesus. If you read the New Testament, you'll recognize that Jesus brought forward a progressive culture. A progressive religious culture of salvation in Him. And so cultures always seem progressive to those who come from the previous culture. I remember that as a kid. My culture was the Elvis Presley culture. When I was a kid, we all thought the world of Elvis Presley. 
and that rock and roll culture. And our moms and dads, whoa. They didn't think as highly of it as we did. It seems that it's always the youth that become the forerunners of a cultural change. And that is so today as millennials and Gen Xers begin to drive pressure on the need for a new culture. Well, because Jesus is who? He's not afraid of this. He's not afraid of this new culture. Because he knows that he is still the Lord of all. And so when we want to try to deal with this culture, let me take you to James for a moment. My other favorite person, who actually became my favorite person because my wife, when we were young Christians, was doing a Bible study with some others through this book, and it changed her life. She may not know it, but I saw it. So let me read just a few verses from James chapter 2. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Faith without deeds is useless. That's what James has said. Here is two men who clearly walked closely with Jesus. They knew him very well. I think James perhaps knew him better than anybody. But they witnessed Jesus in action. Sometimes I think we only think of the words that Jesus said. But if we study his actions as he goes through his teaching modes, there's much for us to learn about how we can address this new progressive culture that is coming hard at us with a lot, and it is coming hard. It is coming with a lot of energy. I read not too long ago this little nidbit that someone in the federal government is trying to bring forward a bill that will encourage children while they're in school not to call their mom and dad mom and dad but to call them by their first name because by calling them mom and dad it may offend some child who doesn't have a mom or a dad it seems to make a lot of sense but it's really social engineering as society tries to social engineer our moral fabric. Social engineering is always and will always come out of the playground of the devil. He 
he is the author and finisher of social engineering, it is his desire that every single person would abandon God and turn to him. And as he social engineers our society, it can seem very attractive. It can also seem very addictive. It can capture us and draw us into that social engineering that's going on. And I suggest to you that Satan, although he has attacked pastors and he attacks Christian leaders, his primary focus is on children. Is on children and young people who are vulnerable to the attractions of cultural change. But God is not afraid of that. I think those of us who are over 50 are. We get frightened of those things. But I think we often forget that we were part of a cultural change in our younger days. But what to do about it? That's the answer. Social engineering, same-sex attractions are not a choice, but they're created that way. Satan has convinced this world that all human choices are right and there is no wrong. That has been his agenda since day one, since he was kicked out of heaven. It was his desire to take care of God that way. The question for us as a believer to combat this progressive anti-biblical choices and behaviors, I give you Jesus as the example. I give you Jesus as the example in two words. He dwelled among us and he walked and demonstrated grace and truth. Grace and truth. Those are the two weapons that the church of today must recognize and use in their weaponry to combat the anti-biblical progressive culture. Well, what does that really mean? It means this. Jesus always saw the person first before the issue. Jesus always saw the person first before the issue. We tend to look at the, per- the issue and then fold over to the person. And if we don't like the issue, guess what? We probably won't like the person. Notice the order in our passage today. Jesus came and walked grace and truth. His first priority was the person, not the issue. We can read many stories in the New Testament about that. The woman at the well. He didn't bring up her her adultery as, as, as something. He looked at her first. He sat with her first. He talked with her first. He loved her first. And then he spoke about her issue and said, go and sin no more. 
If we are going to combat the anti-biblical progressive culture, we must look at people first before their issue. We must love them because why? They were created by who? They were created by God and they're just as important to Him as you and I are. And His love for them is just as deep as it is for you and I. And we must, if we're going to combat this culture, look at the person. Build a relationship with the person. And then God will give you opportunity through his Holy Spirit to speak about the issue. But if we look at the issue first, we will never want to build a relationship with that person. Because we will be so frustrated with the issue that we won't take time. But the other side of the coin is, it can't be all loving because we also must deal with the issue. We also must deal with the issue. If we don't deal with anti-biblical issues, then we will be held accountable. And so we do well, no matter what age we are, to continue to study the scriptures about issues so that we can speak to people honestly about what God's plan is. We as an evangelical churches, we have our doctrinal statements of faith. There's no way that I will ever marry a gay couple. It's not God's plan. It's not what he ordained from the garden. It's clear that same-sex attraction is not what God's intention was. I have a gay brother. He's gone... He's passed away, but he continually tried to convince me that he was created that way. But he wasn't. He wasn't created that way. But I built a relationship with him. I began to see him after many years of being disgusted with him. I told my wife, after many years, I'm going to go and see my brother who I hadn't seen for many years. Because God wanted me to love him. And I went and saw him. And I began to love him. And all of a sudden the issue that I saw before me, I began to talk with him about. And you know something? I saw some minor changes in him. I began to speak about him in love and saying, You know, you weren't created that way. And I understand that you have same-sex attraction. I don't understand why, but I understand you have it. But that what you do with your same-sex attraction is what I have to do with my normal sex attraction. I can either let myself, when I see a, a beautiful young lady walking down the road, I can let it get into my head and into my heart, and I can sin. Or I can choose to set it apart. I think many of us, if we're honest, as men, we've let it settle in there a little bit too long. And it creates issues. 
But if we're going to win this battle of anti-biblical, progressive world and teachings, let us do it the way Jesus did. Let us do it the way Jesus did. He saw the person first. Because you know something, folks? They're going to come in these doors. They're going to come in these doors. And you know why they're going to come in these doors? Because Jesus is here. Because Jesus is here. The question for you and I is how are we going to deal with those who come in our door? Are we going to see their issue? Or are we going to see them? And let God help us through the issue. It doesn't mean we forget the issue. It doesn't mean that we ignore the issue. It doesn't mean that we don't want to deal with the issue. Because God wants us to do that too. But He wants us to love first. And you'll be amazed how the doors open when you do that. I was sharing with my wife just before I close. Can't see a clock up there anymore, so I could probably go on forever, so I won't. I'm going away for four months with a special purpose in my heart. My five years here have been the most wonderful five years of my pastoral career. They have been marvelous. They have been exciting. They have been fruit producing. But you know, all that time took me away from God a little bit. Yes, I read the Bible every day, and yes, we were going through Bible and reading and all those things. But my life was so filled that I lost sight of God a little bit. But what did God want for Gary Hellard? And so when I came to that conclusion a number of months ago is when I entered my resignation. And the foundation of that resignation is I need to be closer to God. I need to find myself closer to Him. I am not retiring. But I don't want to know what the next season looks like. But I'm going to journal four months of what God is doing in my life and what God is teaching me after 40 years in the ministry. I'm excited about sitting down every day and journaling what God is teaching me. Who knows what that will be. But the thing that bothers me the most, or bothered me the most, was you folks. Am I going to have people to love like I love them and they love me? I don't want to go anywhere unless I have that. I won't exist without that. And my first weekend up cusp as I was setting up my trailer, I was having some trouble 
with our propane. And I am a Luddite when it comes to any kind of mechanical stuff. Just ask my wife. I've tried to repair many things and it's cost us double because I have made more of a mess than when it started. I do not know how to do those things. So it happened to me to one of the gentlemen I golfed with, I won't tell you where, at the bar when I went to watch a Toronto baseball game because I didn't have my TV set up yet. And I sat down and chatted with him and his name was Steve and he was a refrigerator guy. And I was telling him about my propane issues. He said, hey, I can come out and have a look at that. I can do that for you. I said, I'm only here for a couple of days. He said, yeah, I'll come out tomorrow. We'll, we'll, we'll have a look at it. So he came out and he looked at it and we found out what the issue was. And I said, thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. I said, I got to find this gas valve then. And he said, after he went home, he said, I forgot, send me a picture of that. I forgot what it looked like. I might have one of those way back in my warehouse. So I sent him a picture, and sure enough, he had this three-pronged three gas valve. I was about ready to wake myself to Nelson because they had one down there, and they wouldn't let me reserve it, but Steve had one. And so he came out, and we together we fixed it and put it together. So the next day I phoned him when I went into town, and I said, I just want to thank you again, Steve. And we chatted while we were working together. And he said, can I ask you something? I said, sure, Steve, what would you like? He said, do you know anything about Alcoholics Anonymous? I said, yeah, I do. He said, do you know anything about step five? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, after talking to you yesterday with a little, just a little strange voice, he said, after talking with you yesterday, can I come to you for my step five? I'd like to talk to you about my step five. Two things happened that day. I saw him for who he was before he even told me. Because that's what we talked about in our conversation, about addictions. And then God said, Gary... I still have a place for you. I still have work for you. That meant a lot to me. That this summer I will have people to love. No matter what their issue is, I will have people to love. And the Holy Spirit can help me, as He can you, to deal with the issues. You see, I could have shut down right then. This guy's an alcoholic. I don't want anything to do with him. That's issue-oriented. But instead, I saw somebody God loved. And he allowed me to love him. So I leave you for my second last. I won't be doing too much preaching next week. So I leave you with this challenge where I begin. Yes, Jesus is in this house. Yes, Jesus is in this house. And Jesus wants us to have an impact on this culture. 
If we do that as a church, this church will fill with people. And I say one last thing to you. Will you love Ryan as deeply as you loved me? Will you love Ryan as deeply as you have loved me? He's a young man, but he loves Jesus. And he has a passion for this church that has run deep in his veins. And he's only been here a short while. So can I count on you to love him like you love me? Amen. Can I count on you to continue to be G- let Jesus in this house? And will you continue to be what Jesus wants you to be? Will you see people first and their issues second? Because that's grace and truth. And they can't be separated. But Jesus demonstrated grace came first and the issue came second. When you have grace, you have the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with the issue. When you don't have grace, you don't have power of the Holy Spirit to deal with the issue. You try to deal with it on your own power, and it will never work. We defeat Satan in two ways, grace and truth. And if we have that, Satan will have no rule over here. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful that you allowed me the privilege to be part of this family. I have learned more from them than than I've taught them because they've shown me grace and truth. And I pray, Father, that you will explode those two gifts within our midst that this church might be seen by those all around us and even other churches. That's a church that's foundation is built on Jesus, is God, and His grace will lead to truth. Grant it, we pray, Jesus, in Your precious name. Amen. we stand together and close the service with one more song.